which tells you that Ted Cruz has never seen a vagina in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, friends, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. It's great to have you here for another fun episode. This is episode number 166, and that means you can find the show notes for today's show featuring everything we discuss at lionsofliberty.com slash 166. And guys, while you're shopping for your friends and family during this holiday season, one way you can help us here at Lions of Liberty out is by doing so through our Amazon referral link. You can find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon. You click on that link, bookmark it, do all your holiday and whatever shopping. These guys have everything. Do it all through that link. Costs you nothing extra to do, but gives us a little kickback so we can keep the lights on and expand our operation here at Lions of Liberty. Really appreciate the help. And boy, do I have a fun show for you guys today. I've got some fellow podcasters on the show. With me now are two of the minds behind the We Are Libertarians podcast, Chris Spangle and Greg Lentz. Gentlemen, are you ready to roar? Roar! Roar. I will take that as a resounding yes. We were were trying to get my cat to meow into the microphone, but it didn't work. Oh, that would have been sweet. So gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It's great to finally speak to you guys. It's, it's weird when you listen to someone's podcast for a while and then speak to them in real life because it, it feels like you're just picking up where you left off somewhere, even though you've never spoken to them ever. So that's kind of how I am with you because I've been listening to your show uh, a lot lately. Uh, I really only discovered it a few months ago, but I've been uh, checking it out. And I really like what you guys are doing over there. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, and and it's funny because I I've listened a couple times and then I saw your photo and I was like that's not exactly that's not what I thought he looked like at all and I get that all the time. <laughs> it's you're much fatter than I thought you would be. Hey. No, I meant me. People oh, say okay, that. you. No, you were exactly the size. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to spin that in a good or bad way. To be honest. Wait, what was I supposed to look like? What did you think I was? Um, and I got I don't know. I don't know. You're a libertarian podcaster. You're much more handsome. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I would assume a libertarian podcaster would be. Well, I checked out your bio, and now you work in... Uh, I hate when people do this. All right, go go on. <laughs> you, do, you do work out in Hollywood, right? Like freelance? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I hate the phrase Hollywood because I don't live near Hollywood, but I, know, I understand that's what everybody calls anything in L.A. But yeah, I work in a TV production. So uh, I work mostly in studio shows, uh, live events, live sports. I do video editing, video play out, all very live, kind of fast-paced atmosphere, which is different than the podcast because the podcast I can do and I can totally produce it so I sound way better than I actually do in real life. That's, that's the fantastic <laughs> thing about having post-production capabilities, as, as you guys know. And for your listeners, I'm Chris, that's Greg. Oh, yeah, and we I, should probably point that out at some point. Yeah, and uh, we don't do any editing at all. We used to, we've, we've done our podcast for three and a half years now, and we're up to episode one, 130, 140, yeah, I don't know. This will be 132. Uh, and after three and a half years, like at the beginning, it was like, take out the ums, make us sound really good. <laughs> and now I'm like, mm, screw it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, at first I did what you guys did. I sat down for like hours and like parsed down every sentence so it sounded perfect. And then I was like, wow, that was a lot of effort to sound barely any different. Because <laughs> you know, in reality, I mean, that's how people talk. We talk with ums and ahs. And it's not the worst thing in the world if other people realize that we're also humans and not robots and actually you know, talk in the same way. Um, at the same time, I, I was able to discover an amazing audio editor that I work with now. So I do have someone that's able to package these shows together for me and not take out the ums and ahs anymore because that was just too upsetting. But to tighten it up a little bit and, you know, do all the work that I just don't feel like 
doing because I'm so damn busy in life and I spend so much time just putting thought into the interviews themselves, except this one, as we talked about before the show. I have no plan with you guys because who needs one? But, uh, you know, I, I spend so much time, mental time on it that when I actually get to the production end, I'm just drained and I don't want to deal with it anymore. So now I just have someone else, John Dobbert, fantastic man, who helps me with that. So That's why I've got one in, in the can that we recorded like a week ago that I have not uh, posted yet. And, and see, I work for uh, the Bob and Tom Show, which is a nationally syndicated radio show with four million listeners a day and I'm the web director, so I, and I do podcasting full-time, essentially. And when it comes to my podcast, I'm like, it's like a janitor doesn't want to clean at the end of the day. Chefs don't like to cook. Exactly. I don't want to edit this audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I work in, uh, I do a lot of work on, on football stuff, and, uh, you know, I, three or four days a week I'm dealing with NFL things. So then if I actually get a day off and there happens to be a game, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so it's rare we actually get a primetime game of any kind. But, it, you know, when that happens, I theoretically want to watch the game, but I don't. Like, I don't want to go to the bar. I don't want to think about what's happening. I don't want to watch, you know, all these plays and highlights because that's what I do all the time. Like, I just have zero interest as soon as I'm not working in it, which is, I don't know, kind of sad in a way. It's killed many desires I have to really watch watch sports that i work on but at the same time hey it frees me up for more liberty so yeah it's see it's and it's flattering that you say you don't have a plan with us because that is sort of our goal with our podcast where it, it, we have about 15 different people that we've rotated in yeah you guys got quite a crew coming in and out of there yeah i mean i i started the podcast in march of 2012 when i was the executive director of the libertarian party of indiana just as a way to kind of promote uh the libertarian party to local college kids and then when I left there, I brought the podcast with me so it didn't die. Uh, and then <laughs> Greg came on about a year later. I was used for content because I had a blog of uh, interesting news articles, and Chris and I had gone to, you know, from elementary school on up and then church together. And then he was like, hey, would you mind just posting this on here? And then he invited me one Saturday to show up and record, and I really never left. He was really like a virus. Before you know it, you're hosting a podcast. You're like, wait a minute, this was not what we discussed at all. Well, Greg just kept showing up, so Greg ended up being the, the permanent co-host, and now it is he and I are the backbone of the podcast. But we have about 15 to 20 different local libertarians that are all millennials that rotate in and out, and, and it depends on the subject. And you know, some of those who uh, started the podcast with us are no longer there uh, for sometimes contentious reasons. To be clear, they're still alive. They're just not uh, participating anymore. Sort of. <laughs> it sounded a little possibly morbid for a second, so I just want to make it clear in case anyone is holding early funerals for some people. Listen, I'm a libertarian. I take things very seriously. Of course. And if we get into a fight, you're dead. You're dead to me. <laughs> I won't go. kill you because that's the non-aggression principle, but we will not speak and I will... Right, blog so, so we are libertarians. It's the name of the podcast. It's pretty much straight up. There, there's no confusion about what you're trying to say there. So how did you guys kind of get to that point? And I guess we can start with you, Chris, since you're one of the, the founders of We Are Libertarians, or, or the founder. I'm not sure exactly how you look at it, but how did you first get into the ideas of liberty? Because none of us, well, maybe not none of us, some people probably grew up in libertarian households, but most of us probably didn't, since because if we did, there'd be a lot more libertarians in the world. So how did this all start for you? Oh, gosh, no. My, my grandma st stuffed envelopes for Reagan and has photos of George W. Bush all over the house, and oh, uh, my dad's a Republican. Although n neither of my parents are political in any way, shape, or form, I somehow got the politics bug as a young kid, and uh, really was always into it. I was I was a Republican. I went to IUPUI, which is a college here in Indianapolis that you go if uh, you made bad and bad choices in high school used and, to be now yeah. it's great yeah now it's a great college and uh got involved in the college republicans there worked on mitch daniels campaign it was 2004 when i became the president of the college republicans uh 2003 i held a support the troops rally i.e 
uh, pro-war rally. Mini Cheney. <laughs> right, Mini Cheney. And uh, then after, uh, shortly after that, like 2005, I started working at a radio station. And it was a news talk station, and I, I was an intern for the morning show. And their host, Abdul, started picking apart all my little Rush Limbaugh arguments because I wasn't making arguments from fact or, or research. I was making arguments from the script that I had been taught. The talking from, points. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I really kind of became politically homeless because I, I just was like, I, I don't have confidence in what I believe. And there was a guy here locally named Andy Horning who uh, is a libertarian that I worked on one of his campaigns, and he really mentored me. Uh, and then Ron Paul came along, and, and I really was libertarian for the most part. I mean, in '04 when I was president of CRs, they about impeached me because I didn't care about immigration or gay marriage. I was like, who cares if gay people get married? Oh. And uh, oh. that was that was bad. But <laughs> oh no, oh no, not yeah. not in that circle, my friend. Yeah, foreign policy became a hang-up uh, of mine until Ron Paul in 2008, and then uh, I was like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. And so I started identifying as a libertarian and started watching the Libertarian Party, and they were not effective here locally. And I said, hey, what's the problem? And they said, we don't have an executive director. I went on to work. I said, I work in radio. Make me an offer. You can, you can beat it. <laughs> trust me. And uh, they did. And I went and worked there for four years and had a, a wonderful time growing the libertarian philosophy. Then I became the marketing director for the Advocates for Self-Government, the world's smallest quiz people. I did that for a year. And then, uh, then I became the web director at the Bob and Tom Show. Uh, sold out completely. Sold out completely. My sole uh, claim to libertarianism now is is I do a podcast. So uh, I used to do all kinds of field work and activism and and organization. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to talk and let people listen. What a sellout! I, I I can't believe you just don't do liberty 24 seven. That's that's outrageous. You actually want to have a job that that pays you money to do other things. I did for five years, and you know what? I had to, at some point, become a grown-up and start making money, and now I have a beautiful luxury apartment, 700 square feet. It's open concept. Uh, no feet bumps in the parking lot, Mark. I have two cats. I'm a happy man. A poon palace, if you will. <laughs> Calm down. So you're telling me you guys do a libertarian podcast, but you do not live in basements of any kind, or you might not even have a basement, it sounds like. no. Oh, no. We, uh, he has no. his apartment. I have mine. We do not live together. We're not Apartments that you pay Uncle... for yourselves, right? I just uh, This is just a new concept to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I've been right. yeah. Uncle Greg and Uncle Chris spend a lot of time together. No, yeah. we live <laughs> Although you do love to say that I'm a confirmed bachelor like Lindsey Graham. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, no. I, I lived in my mom's basement until 26, so that I do have some libertarian street cred. So, Greg, what about you? How did you get into all this wacky libertarian stuff? Well, there was this podcast, and this guy was the executive director of the Libertarian Party. Ah, he sounds he really invited, interesting. Yeah, he invited me to this basement apartment and said, yeah, we're just going <laughs> to hang out with a bunch of white guys and talk about politics. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm a white guy. I can do that. <laughs> He's not joking. <laughs> no, but actually, I would say my whole life, I've, I kind of feel like this is, for the most part, everybody. Um, I felt like a libertarian without knowing what it was. Sort of do no harm. Uh, if it doesn't, if it neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg, um, it doesn't involve me. And I didn't know politics or come to know politics really until college and had a political science professor that worked for George W. Bush in Texas. And I realized then I wasn't necessarily a Republican because George W. Bush was neither conservative um, or valued many of the same things that I do other than a few economic policies, but not really, maybe the occasional tax cut. 
Um, and then it, it kind of went away. I was dormant, but I got very, uh, I got very interested. I um, finished my degree at IUPUI like Chris and tried the college Republicans. They weren't my uh, particular brand of vodka, so I didn't like that too much. But then when Chris asked me when he was building the website, I had had a blog where it was really just interesting news articles and he needed content. So he was like, hey, would you mind just posting this every day? And then as I got into it, I kind of, you know, I followed politics. I knew it pretty well, but I didn't have necessarily a philosophical grounding. And then he just completely ruined me by exposing me to uh, you know, <laughs> voluntarism and minarchism and anarcho-capitalism. And I've always liked economics. That was my primary interest in college. So the Austrian school really hit home and made the most sense. And now we're just here three and a half years later. And I guess I am a libertarian. So a, a resounding endorsement. I guess I'm a libertarian. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a little L libertarian, you know. One thing about the podcast, I've ne- I've always invited people on who who are not purists. Um we our, our podcast really is geared it's like a conversation within my living room. Cuz all these libertarian podcasts, yours excluded. I mean, it's if you listen to It's okay. You can include mine. No. no, no. I mean, there's a lot of pro- professors and that is right. what makes up the information of the libertarian movement and that's just not accessible to most people they don't talk like most people it's not going to grab most people and coming from a background i wanted to engineer a podcast that people would actually download in in mass quantities uh for uintjs and uh i i have never been afraid to invite people on like greg who come from a republican or or gina was on the podcast for a while she's a flaming liberal um because I think it is interesting to hear somebody progress in into more of an anarchist over time. I mean, I certainly have had that happen. And we I, I'll take some heat for that sometimes because Greg will say something like, I want to bomb all brown people. Scratch <laughs> quote, episode 50. Uh, and but that's just not, you know, people don't start from a pure perspective. And that's part of the problem with the libertarian movement and libertarian media in general is that. You have to start with purity, and you have to speak as an authority. And what we tried to do is wrestle with a lot of the questions and wrestle with the events of the day and do it in a way that is fun. And, you know, as, as I have become less political, uh, the show has probably become less political and at times a little more Oprah. But uh, <laughs> I, I think there's room for that in the Libertarian Party, too. It's, it's not just all facts and figures. There's also some emotion that taps into politics as well. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I, I, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with Lions of Liberty with my show. Uh, I'm not the only one there. I, I do host this program, but you know, we founded the Lions of Liberty with a couple of college friends of mine, and, and we were totally apolitical in college. Maybe not apolitical, but we weren't libertarians. I mean, this stuff only happened when we came together later in life uh, when Ron Paul started running for president, and we started talking about this stuff, and then eventually we're like, well, since we're spending all this time emailing each other and, and talking about this stuff, why don't we just blog about it? And then one day it just became a, a podcast because I just decided to make it one and uh, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do is bring people on a journey not say this is how everything should be I like to bring an interesting guest some of which are professors but not all of them and and have sort of intellectual conversations in a sense but to try to translate them into a normal conversation basically try to take an intellectual talk press it through this sort of filter and then spit out sort of a normal conversation that people can actually access whether or not I'm successful at that you know it can probably be up and down you know depending on the week but that is the goal and that's that's what I'm trying to sort of bring forward because at the end of the day we can't just have like nerdy intellectual conversations they're important ones to have and they need to exist so that we can sort of figure out our beliefs but when we're trying to reach out to other people like when I want 
want to talk to my friends about this stuff, I mean, I can't send them to the nerd podcast. I have to send them to either you guys or myself or, I mean, Jason Stapleton. I know you guys have had him on the show and I think he's doing great work. There's a lot of people that are starting to do work that's a lot more accessible to, I guess, the, the quote-unquote everyman, the guy that's whose face is not buried in, in you know, in Man Economy and State for 10 hours every night, you know? Somebody that just goes to the <laughs> bar and, and has a beer and comes home and, you know, might toss on a podcast while they, you know, who knows what they're doing. Yeah, we, uh, we, I started this in 2012 with uh, two Young Americans for Liberty guys, uh, Creighton Harrington. He went on to actually work for YAL. Uh, he doesn't come on the podcast much anymore because he's grown up and grown out of Liberty. And, uh, <laughs> and then Chris Galt, uh, he, he was a great addition, a little troublemaker, and then uh, left under um, tense conditions. Um, but hilarious. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, th- that was great, great podcasts. Uh, as they, they've literally gotten into a physical fight one day after a podcast. So we've <laughs> talked about that over the years. Non-aggression, uh, gentlemen, non-aggression. That's what I tried to say. <laughs> I just sat down and laughed at him because it was the worst-looking fight I'd ever seen in my life. But You know what's funny? I actually, uh, a friend of mine, Brian McWilliams, uh, another Lion of Liberty, he does our, our Rand Paul analysis show and, and, and all of our debate reaction shows, and we actually ran a beer pong fundraiser and we've known each other for like 12 years you know friends that have known each other for that long can fight like it's fine like we just fight and then we're over it so uh, i don't know he something was happening at this beer pong fundraiser that we had for ron paul and uh yeah he was like getting on my case about not making a shot i don't even remember what the issue was but i got annoyed and we kind of had a little scuffle like i don't know maybe i <laughs> maybe i pushed him maybe he slapped me eh, you know and like a couple of these guys were like guys guys come on we're supposed to be ron paul people we're not supposed to be violent and not aggression i'm like dude come on we're friends we're just fighting get over it these are the ideals we aspire to this is not the conditions in which we live exactly i agree you should not hit someone but you know sometimes you gotta choke a bitch but sometimes you gotta (laughs) choke a bitch and i think that's what's really holding liberty back is watching two libertarians like fight is like two flailing wounded birds and if we would just quit fighting in public people think we were more masculine and maybe not accuse us of being isolated. or get into real fights with our fists in public no i'm just i don't go. advocate that i don't advocate that everybody just you know. gotta go alpha <laughs> yeah so and then it just kind of morphed into more of a collaborative effort and we really the first year we only had 72 people listening to each episode now we're over 4,000, and According to one friend, that puts us on like the top twenty percent of all podcasts, which blows our mind. Oh yeah, and the fact that you even still have a podcast—I I, I think so. I read something like most podcasts, like something like I'm making these numbers up, by the way. Something like sixty percent of podcasts, uh, d- like don't make it past like episode eight. So the the gee, our sheer existence makes puts us in the top tier, which Complete. is nice. All I have to do is breathe and I'm, and continue talking, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm considered top tier. <laughs> we we want to do this every week. It's just really hard to get that many people together every single week, and uh. You know, we really knew we had made it when Professor Tom Woods uh, was speaking at the YAL event last year at uh, actually earlier this year in 2015 at a YAL Ohio convention and recommended his podcast, the Mises podcast and our podcast. We were like, holy cow, this is like serious. We need to like do do research or something. Why did we quit editing? (laughs) Tom Woods listens. We have to impress him. (laughs) Why did we stop editing? (laughs) Hilarious. I've said the C word on this podcast. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I just did a show with Brian McWilliams today where he said the C word, and I was like, "Really? Come on! That's, oh. that's like the one word. Like any other word, I'll just leave in there." I'm like, "That one? Eh, I just oh, even that you know, one? I'm like, oh, I gotta take it out." Ever hung around twenty-four-year-olds? That's their favorite word, especially women. 
Really? Uh, yeah. Really? Is that the case? Because uh, when I grew up, you really were not supposed to say that, especially anywhere near a woman. When I grew up, what the hell? How old am I now? Why am I saying things like that? It is del- <laughs> it is different with millennial women. Trust is me. that like with a Y added it, or is that just no, no hard hard T hard T <laughs> hard T. wow hard hard T? Because I've yet to experience that in a while, but I don't hang out with a young you know twenty four year old. Uh, I should have been a millennial if that's what if that's what these kids are doing. <laughs> right, I, it came too late. I try to spend as much time with young women as possible. Well, <laughs> <laughs> classic libertarian right there. Yeah. Uh, so what you know, you guys are really immersed, especially Chris. I know for many years you're so immersed in the libertarian movement, seeing kind of all angles of it, seeing the sort of you know every man kind of thing, and 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 actually being in, involved in you know career libertarianism in a, way, in a way for some time. So, Chris, I'm just wondering what kind of observations you have, because obviously uh, we don't live in a libertarian country or a libertarian society or whatever anything resembling what you might want to envision as as ideal. So, why do you think these ideas of liberty aren't you know taking off as fast as they should be or could be or or do you think that the liberty movement is actually doing pretty well all things considered oh i I definitely think it is uh when i was at the radio station in 2007 2008 i have tape of me somewhere on my own website uh on on air making fun of ron paul as a crackpot (laughs) and then i and that was sort of what everybody did they mocked him and then i actually started to listen to him and listen to what he was saying and it started to make sense and the authenticity of Ron Paul really spoke to people, just as the, the alleged sincerity and authenticity of Trump and Bernie Sanders are speaking to people today. Um, but Ron Paul had a record that matched his rhetoric. And, you know, when you have somebody who is your message bearer, getting a, getting a platform in a time where people are very change-minded, and uh, he's very passionate, and he's willing to say that the hard things as opposed to what everybody wants to hear... Uh, I think that that really hit a chord in 2008-2012, especially with young people who are frustrated with their situation. And, you know, in 2009, when I started at the Libertarian Party and we were working on messaging for candidates, you didn't talk about pot. I mean, it was it was it was a 2009 uh, as we were preparing for the 2010 cycle. And in the 2010 cycle, it was a conservative cycle. We were talking about low taxes. We were talking about small business opportunities, uh, and you didn't mention things like anti-war issues, you didn't mention privacy because it wasn't even really talked about as much, you didn't mention um, pot at all. And hell, even even Democrats weren't talking about pot, I mean, openly, not like they are now. Yeah, by 2012, 20, you know, by 2012, and and certainly now by 2016, we, it's much more liberal, and, and I think, as millennials have started to have more of a voice, uh, you know, we've, we've grown up with cultural influences like Howard Stern, Ron, you know, with uh, uh, South Park uh, and a lot of different libertarian cultural influences uh, that, that we've bathed in. Uh, we, we are a libertarian generation. A third of us are libertarian, according to one new study, where baby boomers, it's an eighth. So as we have more more powerful voice in politics and in, in society and in culture, it's things become more and more libertarian and that's only going to continue to progress what what we're having a hard time um, capturing in the libertarian movement is any kind of not centralized but cohesive organization uh careful careful the anarchists are already getting getting upset well, <laughs> organization, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, well, organization <laughs> is part of how politics and human beings work. We, we work within social structures. 
And with the Republicans, you have a top-down structure. And that just does not work with, with libertarians. With Democrats, you have more of a coalition party where you've got these various interest groups that work together to, uh, to find these common interests, like labor. And uh, libertarians have not figured out how to work together to kind of build that coalition party yet. Uh, we can't even decide what party we want to work within. And to, to be fair, the current state of the Libertarian Party is absolutely abysmal. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a, a functioning vehicle for candidates to get support. So um, the state level parties seem to be very highly functioning. Um, absolutely. You know, agents to, to progress the liberty message. But I don't understand why the National Committee and the National Party just, man, it seems like they're out to lunch and it's a power grab every time and they alienate each other and then everything disintegrates hilariously it's plagued by bureaucracy (laughs) (laughs) i mean isn't isn't any large organization almost uh, inevitably going to be plagued by bureaucracy in in some ways i mean i feel like that's almost inevitable free market or or otherwise yeah it's it's just human nature and if the libertarian if the libertarian party became the majority party in the united states they would probably become corrupt because that's just sort of the nature of the beast i mean government and organizations are full of humans and human beings are, are not perfect. They're full of imperfections and mistakes and errors. And uh, anytime you have a large group of human beings, their errors work in concert to make one dysfunctional organization. Because I kind of see the Libertarian Party as a, like, for instance, a center of gravity within the two existing parties. I tend to believe the American electorate, you know, when not worrying about ISIS or, you know, not watching sensationalist news, trends towards a more libertarian position. The problem is that that fear of ISIS or whatever, the, the, the boogeyman of the day, seems to always override all the otherwise perhaps rational positions that people are starting to take. Oh, absolutely, and without a doubt. Um, so that makes it quite difficult. And I, I, you know, I tend to think of uh, where we are right now. Like Chris said, libertarianism is in a much better position than it has been, and I couldn't agree more. You hear it more in the media. But I think it's more of a rising tide, and then context really creates the scenarios where liberty um, catches catches its stride, we you know we millennials grew up and you know Desert Storm wasn't a war anyone felt, you know our parents didn't even feel it. 9/11 hit and all of a sudden liberty took a huge leap back underneath the uh, the you know guiding hand of a small government, quote unquote conservative like George W. Bush, but then people got tired of war and so anti-intervention or uh, yeah anti-interventionism has been a recurring theme. And then you have Snowden and people being spied on. And I think, for the most part, the average American citizen until Snowden couldn't even told you, you know, what the Fourth Amendment protected. And now you have people that are raising political action money for political action committees around it. Um, so my hope is that we stay in an area or in a, in a tide where libertarianism does continue to increase. An attack here, though, domestically by ISIS... I think we would go right back to where we started from 2001. And that's what scares me. I mean, it, it seems like it just, t- I mean, even when something that didn't happen here, I mean, even after Paris, you see all these politicians calling for more surveillance and uh, more militarism. And if, if something actually happens here, God forbid, I mean, it's it's going to be a thousand times fold. They, they arrested um, climate protesters underneath emergency terrorism laws in Paris yesterday. <sighs> Lord, yeah, Paris has some really bad anti-speech laws, including... Um, you know, even if you're 
Because I, I guess now that's what that's the thing. That's what Bernie Sanders recently said to debate this this line we're hearing now is that climate change is responsible for terrorism. So I guess if you're saying something bad about climate change, you're you know helping the terrorists. I don't really know. You're part of ISIS. Something like that. If you uh, don't have a what a hybrid, you're basically fueling ISIS's rise. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why we've seen so much terrorism out here in California with our drought, right? Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Well, you have the Enviro Nazis. I mean, as we go as we go to uh, record this in San Bernardino, there's been a, a tragedy where there has been uh, a shooting and, and early reports. Now, of course, we have no idea who who is at. The, they've surrounded a black SUV like just now. So by the time somebody else hears this, they'll already know all that happened. But uh, 4chan, always inaccurate, uh, says it, it was someone with a Muslim name. You know, and so it, it's so easy for these lone wolves to create these terrorist attacks. And I include, uh, you know, someone who goes into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado as a terrorist. Um, but does that mean that you start eroding their privacy freedoms just because you, you can't you just can't capture lone wolves? And we have this problem in this country now where we feel that every single person should leave their home in the morning and come home safely at night. And that's just not how life works. There's no. There's no uh, government that can ensure that you come home at night, uh, and bad stuff happens. That's just part of how the world works, and you know you do your best to police it and stop it beforehand. But you can't start eroding freedoms because that's not going to work. I mean, there are ways to keep everybody safe and to make sure, and that is to make sure we all stay in our houses. We got to stop just having companies that we go to. We got to all stay at home, and then we have a uh, group of police officers outside every house, and then, you know, we'll all be fine. Nobody will hurt each other, and, uh, you know, eh, maybe we won't be as free, but, eh. Who will build the bulletproof vests? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to get your, your guys' thoughts on, because I know you guys are following this stuff as well. You recently did a, a reaction show about the, the GOP and Democrat debates. We've taken on a, a task that I'm already regretting, but we, we committed to it early, so now we're still doing it. Every time there's a GOP debate or a Democrat debate, we do a live blog, and we immediately record a reaction show afterwards. The only um, the only ben- good thing about that is that we do it while you know having a few adult beverages, so it kind of uh, helps helps uh, lessen the, the sting a little bit. But you know, you, you talked about Ron Paul a few minutes ago and, and how, how he was so bold in the debates and how he captured some the hearts of so many people and, and changed the way people were viewing politics. And yet we've got his son up on stage there, and I think he is doing a lot of good things and saying a lot of correct things, but yet he's not capturing that spirit, uh, I guess, at all, because he's not raising the kind of money that Ron raised, and he's certainly not even doing as... I mean, I, I think Ron was doing better in the polls at this point, even. So, I mean, what what do you attribute this to? Um, I know for me, um, with Rand, I see it entirely. He, is, he has the libertarian disease. He can't wait to be right up on stage. He is looking for his moment to show off and demonstrate that he knows the policy inside and out. And then he gives this little smirk, condescending look over at everybody and then realizes he's going to be kicked down to the The interesting thing about that is that's how he starts every other statement. Oh, well, the interesting about it's like he puts puts on his sort of snarky professor, (laughs) professor mode. Right. Right. And, you know, he grew up in anarcho-capitalist. There's YouTube videos of him defending it. And that's that was a mistake because he has none of his dad's likability and none of his dad's um, ability to succinctly capture a message um, like of basically indeterminate non-interventionism in policy across the board. And so I, I, I like I mean, Rand is a guy that is definitely an advocate and a great leader of the liberty movement, but he belongs in the Senate 
because my other criticism is I don't think I actually counted uh, the first debate. No candidate said when I am president less than Rand Paul. And he didn't say it until he was asked by the moderator, what would a Rand Paul presidency look like? And he's like, what? Never thought. Yeah. That. Like, how can you <laughs> ask people to donate to your campaign when you don't even think you can be president? And that's the weird thing, because if he doesn't think he, he can be president, then why why tiptoe around things? Why not be even bolder? Why not truly run an educational campaign if he truly has, I don't know, anarcho-capitalist beliefs or, or what have you? If you're not trying to actually be president, because that's the excuse you hear from everybody, well, I know, but to, in order to be president, you got to say certain things. In order to win a Republican nomination, you got to tell a certain line. But he's not he's not doing that. He's not even doing that well. So I mean I, I just don't see either you gotta go full educational or actually wanna be president and try to win, and it seems like he's doing some weird middle ground where neither are what's happening. Yeah, and he has a he has a trust problem. I mean, I don't trust him. And, you know, Greg and Creighton will sit across the table and say, But you you know, Ron Paul said to your face one time, which is true, you know, my son believes what I believe. I said, it's, but that's not what he says. Like, and I don't want a politician who's just going to lie to be president just because he's on my team. Like, that's, I, I'm, I'm for honesty. Not, but that's it, a pretty you know, hard by, hard high bar for any politician. Don't I, you? What do you say? He's he is wishy washy and he, oh, he is. He feels like he's totally full of crap, and you can get away with that if you're uh, somewhat inspiring, like Donald Trump. But you, not just kidding. Uh, I mean, you say that, but it, I, no, I mean, it's true. Like, I mean, I find myself sometimes listening to Donald Trump. The same thing happened to me with Bill Clinton sometimes. I'll, I'll have the news on and he'll come on. That's not actually true. I never watch the news. But point, point being, I'll be listening to one of these guys talk and I'll, 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 I'll suddenly like forget I'm a rational human being for a minute and I'll get sucked into the speech. And like before I know it, I'm like, hey, this guy sounds pretty good. Oh, oh, oh I got to slap myself because it's like these guys are so masterful with how they present themselves. I don't know if you've seen any of this stuff about Trump. Um, if you Google Donald Trump is a wizard, you'll find an article by Scott Adams about this um, and where he talks about all the methods that Trump uses to sort of seduce people, and they're extremely effective. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I had problems with the elder Ron Paul, or the elder Paul, Ron Paul, in 2012, if you listen to the early episodes of We Are Libertarians, and and it was because he was a Republican, and I'm I was a diehard Libertarian Party member at the time, and I and I still am. I don't believe that you can change it from the inside, uh, in the Republican Party. I think a third party is our best hope, but uh, I I believed Ron Paul, and Ron Paul inspired me to be a Libertarian. And Rand Paul, you know, despite my reservations about Ron Paul, after Rand Paul, I'm ready to deify Ron Paul. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just like, are you kidding me? This was I, I miss him. I want to hug him. And, and I just uh, I don't trust Rand Paul. And I think a lot of libertarians just kind of he ran out of the benefit of the doubt with libertarians. And he doesn't have whatever Ron Paul has, which inspires the youth vote to get out and money bomb for him. Uh, the base, you know, they just took for granted the base of libertarians that would be there to support him. And, you know. Those people are now either not voting or they are looking at like Ted Cruz or Donald Trump or or waiting for Gary or, or waiting for Gary Johnson to to get into the race. And, and the funny thing about Ted Cruz is, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Cruz fan, but in some ways when he's up on the debate, he sounds more Ron than Rand. I mean, he comes out about stronger about, I mean, not on some issues, obviously, not on foreign policy, not on the war on drugs, but he comes out strong against the Federal Reserve. And then Rand will come and respond and be like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with him, too. I've got some bill. 
about exactly that. right. Yeah, he's just not an inspiring person. And T- Ted Cruz is a great example of somebody who can say something that they might half believe and and is sort of full of shit. But you go, eh, I could buy from, I could buy it from that guy, you know. And and Ted Cruz also is steeped in Austrian economics. We uh, uh, the head of Fee was was here. Uh, Lawrence Reed was here in Indianapolis at uh, the Liberty Fund, which is headquarters in, in Indianapolis, and gave a talk and said. Ted Cruz, when he was in high school, came to all kinds of Austrian economics courses and, you know, was uh, constantly contacting Fee and the Mises Institute for for more information, which tells you that Ted Cruz has never seen a vagina in his life. (laughs) (laughs) That took a turn I did not expect it to take, young man. (laughs) Well, neither did he. (laughs) I mean, to me, he's the ultimate, like, lizard person. He, He, you know, his demeanor is like Jimmy Stewart. You know, very like it's totally perfectly crafted, unassuming, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington idealist. But then, you know, he would stab a guy in an alley in order to get the nomination. <laughs> and that's why I don't identify with Ted. Because um, of the stabbing know. possibilities. Yeah. Well, don't did you not feel I mean, the guy was the what he was the attorney general in Texas appointed by W. Bush but prior to uh, running for Senate. And oh, man, I just think that he can do everything too well. You know, he's just got that. That uh, well, apparently he was like the best debater ever at Harvard, and he's just like a total debate champion at Princeton. Yeah, Princeton. Sorry, whatever. I get all those places that I would never get into. uh, Confused. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but he's he's clearly very comfortable on a stage. He's uh, an amazing orator. He really knows how to make himself sound correct, whether or not he is, which is why he was a champion debater. Because you don't have to be correct to win a debate. You have to sound correct to win a debate. And uh, that's something that Ted Cruz excels at, which is actually really frightening because, you know, some of the things that he actually stands for when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to the drug war are are terrible to me. And, and to think that some liberty-esque people are going to end up flocking to and voting for him, even though he's good on some things. He's great on the Second Amendment. I mean, he's, he's decent on the Fed. He's good on some things. But it, it, somehow he seems to be capturing. I hear more libertarians talking about Ted Cruz than Rand Paul, and that just blows my mind. But that, yeah. that's more a testament to Rand Paul's lack of uh, ability to convey what he believes or what is his vision for what should be the right way to do things and, and more than it. Well, now it also says a lot about Ted Cruz, I guess. It says about well, how many focus groups did he run it by before? You like know, thousands. I mean, I mean <laughs> both of them. But Ted announcing Cruz, it at Liberty University, your presidential right. campaign, Jerry Falwell's university. Right. I mean, I but hell, do you remember where Rand Paul announced his c- campaign? Yeah, hotel in Louisville, but I don't know. Maybe in a Hampton Inn. I see. I didn't even know that. Oh, I mean, it could have been the you know Saudi Arabia for all I know. <laughs> I don't remember. No, I mean it's disappointing though because there is no one to feel. I feel like there, um, the Liberty Movement can kind of build a coalition around this this cycle. I mean, I I hear so many people talking about Bernie that I never thought in my entire life would be Bernie supporters. Um, one of them we know was Gary Johnson's Ohio field director last time around. And then, <laughs> wow, that's a, it's quite a change. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you have like Chris Cantwell coming out in support of Trump. I mean, you got Bernie and Trump and libertarians are saying, my God, just give us a functioning choice. Did Christopher and, Cantwell actually come out and say, I support Donald Trump. Did that happen? He, he, uh, on Facebook, he referred to himself as a anarcho neocon. <laughs> oh God, I give up. I mean, he obviously is an enormous troll. So yeah. <laughs> I doubt uh, he's actually serious, but there is something that when Trump speaks, you say, I'd follow that guy. You know, I mean, he's a master promoter and salesman. Oh, absolutely. And, and he's doing a brilliant job at his presidential campaign. P- beliefs aside, just looking at, at what he's done, 
it's incredible. And now maybe you can just attribute it to the fact that he's a multi-billionaire and you could almost do anything if you have that many billions. But I mean, he, he says things people want to hear and he says things like, he says really bold, ridiculous things. And I don't think it matters what those things are as long as he's saying it confidently and boldly. I want to build a wall. We must build a wall. Forget if that makes sense or not. I just said something very powerfully and people connect with that and they say, wow, this guy has strong positions. And that's something that you definitely don't get from Rand Paul. No, no. I mean, he, he does have great luck, though, too, because you look at when he said, I want to bomb the hell out of ISIS and take their oil. A day and a half later, Paris gets attacked. Right. And I then, mean, and then we also find out that ISIS is like selling oil through Turkey. So it's like, oh, my God, he, he's right, even though he's not yeah. right about his prescriptions, but he's right about certain things that are going he, on. He like lucked out. He lucks out on the news cycle. Like it seems like every time, you know, and even when he says the most awful things, people are like, I like it. He doesn't apologize. Right. That's what we need in a leader. No apologies. Yeah, he's I mean, the anti Romney. I sort of agree. I just I, that, that's what we need in a leader. I just wish he wasn't. I wish it was Rand Paul that was the no apologies guy. You know, not not him. Right. Yeah, and I I don't know. I haven't seen anybody up and coming in the liberty movement who embodies the ability to sell it and the ideals that gets me excited. Really, Amash may be close to that. But he's a nerd. Yeah, huge nerd. Yeah. I, I like Thomas Massey. He seems pretty cool. But that's, built, that's the extent of my analysis. He's a bigger nerd than Amash. Yeah. I mean, I love him too, but huge ginger nerd. Anyone that goes on Twitter to respond to accusations by making Doge memes cannot <laughs> win the presidency. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, gentlemen, we could probably, not probably, I mean definitely, we could go on for hours and hours talking about this stuff, but we got some more things to do later in the day, so why don't we wrap this thing up? But, I, you know, it's really been a great time connecting with you guys, and uh, like I said, I've been listening to the show for some time. I'm a big fan of, of what you guys are doing and, and how you approach discussing liberty, and, and by that I mean like normal freaking people and not like, you know, uptight little nosy, you know, well, you must agree with the following 17 principles or you're not a true libertarian. So, I, <laughs> I, like I said, I really do appreciate the way you guys approach this stuff, and uh, before I let you go, why don't you just uh, let everyone know how they can find We Are Libertarians and maybe give that final pitch of why my audience should be coming over to your show and, and finding out just uh, what you guys are all about. Well, we have a really fun time, and I think we have a really funny show. And, and uh, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's lasted three and a half years, and we have a lot of different perspectives. And we're not always right, um, but you will learn a lot of different things, and you should probably Google what we say half the time. But... You know, the first time anyone ever heard of ISIS was probably on We Are Libertarians. Uh, we talked about ISIS, gosh, a year before anybody else talked about it. At the Boston it. bombing. Yeah. Before uh, it was cool. Yeah, <laughs> we were, were the original ISIS hipsters. Uh, and, you know, so we just we try to dig in, in deep and really take our time to wrestle with topics and do that with a completely irreverent sense of humor. So you can look us up on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can uh, go to wearelibertarians.com. Uh, feel free to friend Chris Spengel or Greg Lenz on Facebook and prepare for memes. Yep. Uh, the, the memes that go back and forth, the trolling that we do on each other has gotten out of control. And, and I am friends with Chris on Facebook, and I can attest that the meme thing is true. And uh, I don't know if I'm – I'll have to look up Greg right now. No, uh, I don't believe sure we are because I was looking today, and I was like, I hope this guy is Boom. Not I just friend requested you, so watch out. Thank you. Well, I will accept, but uh, I won't can. meme you. I follow the non-aggression principle. With memes? <laughs> He is he is banned from Facebook today because of a, a series that he's done called Hitspiration. I was going through a rough patch, so I was posting a lot of inspirational quotes, and so he started taking those inspirational quotes and posting them over photos of Hitler. And uh, somebody reported him today. with a quote with a Chris Spangle and on it. 
Oh, it's so funny. It is. It is funny. So he's banned. So uh, I, f- I posted his phone number today and said, you know, sorry, Greg Lenz is very ill. Uh, that's why he's not posting today like normal. Uh, please text him and wish him well. And my, my mother <laughs> emailed me to check in. Yeah, uh, he's a real gem, a real mensch. Greg, the Facebooks told me that you were. I don't know. I don't know why. I, ma- I don't know why I made your mother an old Jewish grandmother, but that's, just, that's my that's my default mother voice. <laughs> no, that's good. That's very good. Oh, gentlemen, it's been a blast, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to have you guys back on in the future. Like I said, we do reaction shows uh, for every single debate, so if you ever get get the cojones to to actually sit through another one of these things and chat about it, uh, you're welcome to come on the show, and we'll definitely we'll definitely be in touch in the future. All right, thanks, man. Yep. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, guys, and what a fun talk I had there with Chris Spangle and Greg Lentz. Now, I mentioned we had some more stuff to do. Well, that more stuff was keep talking (laughs) because I immediately recorded an interview for their show, for We Are Libertarians, and that will air shortly after the airing of this show. So I will link to that uh, hopefully in the show notes today at lionsofliberty.com slash 166 whenever it gets up. And now I'm going to take a minute to do something I don't do nearly enough, and that is beg and beg and plead with you guys that if you are a fan of this show... Please do share it with your friends and family, especially during this holiday season. Over the dinner table, around the Christmas tree, around the Hanukkah menorah, it's a good time to maybe engage in a little political discussion. Keeping it respectful, of course. We don't need any family divisions, but it's a good time to talk politics. Because, hey, who's going to listen to you more than your family? Well, hopefully. There are, of course, a number of ways you can help us out in this holiday season. You can go over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you subscribe for the show. Subscribe to the show if you don't already subscribe, first of all. And please leave us a rating, hopefully a five-star rating, and a great review so we can expose this show to other people. We've got a great little audience that we've built up here over the last couple years, and I think we're really ready to take it to the moon. We've recently launched a third episode or we will be next year in january we'll be launching the felony friday a podcast as we announced next week on the felony report you can check that out at lionsofliberty.com slash 165 or just tick back in your in your itunes feed and that means this podcast will soon be three days a week. Now, guys, we don't profit off this. This is not a money-making venture, but it does cost money to run. So there are many ways you can help us out with that. And one of them is to shop through our sponsors links. Of course, you can go to lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon to shop through our Amazon affiliate link. And if you have some liberty-minded friends, you might want to shop for a gift over at libertymaniacs.com. You can find our affiliate page at libertymaniacs.com slash pages slash lions. Or you can find a link, of course, in the show notes as well. You can get 10% off your entire order just by shopping through that link over at Liberty Maniacs. Great political gear from our friend at Dan McCall. I'd also like to invite you all to come join the conversation with us. If you haven't already, you can join our private group on Facebook. It's called the Lions of Liberty Forum. We always link to it in the show notes. Uh, You can also find it by going to your little search bar on Facebook and looking up Lions of Liberty Forum. It is a private group, but I will let you write in as long as you look like a real human being and not some form of spam or a total troll. Of course, there are many ways you can listen to the show. You can find it at lionsofliberty.com every single Monday and Thursday, soon to be every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. How exciting. You can also hear us on the weekends at libertytalk.fm, 6 p.m. Eastern, every single Saturday and Sunday, right before the Johnny Rocket Launchpad, as well as throughout the week on the Liberty Radio Network at lrn.fm. So many ways you can find this show. As we discussed with the boys earlier, there are some more debates coming up. We've got a Republican debate next week, and next Saturday, a Democrat debate, and we're going to do it once again. We're going to watch another Republican debate, and later in the week... 
a, another Democrat debate. The Republican debate is actually tomorrow, Tuesday night. If you're listening the day this is released, Tuesday, December 15th, we'll be live blogging the Republican debate. So head over to lionsofliberty.com for the live blog. We will immediately record a reaction show, and that will air this coming Thursday. And until then, folks, I only have one more word of advice, and that is, of course, to live long and live free. Head of editing and mastering is John Dauber. Contact johnny53 at gmail.com.